Uh, sometimes we just need a little push. Sometimes you just want to push people. But sometimes you just need a little push, right? I read a story about a guy, and 2 o'clock in the morning, someone's banging on his door. It's lightning, it's thundering, it's raining. He goes to the door, and there's a drunk. And there, standing at the door, it's pouring down rain, thundering and lightning. And he says to the guy in the house, I need a push. Well, the guy says, it's 2 in the morning, it's raining, it's cold, it's lightning. I'm not going to do it. He said, come on, sir, I need a push. He said, I am not going to do it. It's just too miserable. So he slammed the door on the drunk's face. He went back into the bedroom, and his wife said, honey, who was it? And he said, there's some drunk at the door insisting that I give him a push. And she said, well, why don't you help him? Don't you remember that we were broke down at the side of the road a few months ago, and someone stopped and helped us? So why don't you help him? He said, all right, I'll go help him. And so he goes to the door and he opens it up. It's thundering, it's lightning, it's dark. And he says, hello, are you still out there? And the drunk says, still here. He said, where are you? He said, I'm over here in the darkness. He said, do you still need a push? And the drunk says, yes, I need a push. He said, where are you at? He said, I'm over here in the tree swing. I need a push. Somebody needs a push. Amen. I'm going to be preaching out of 2 Kings. It's easy to find. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. These are your double books in your Old Testament. We'll be in the 18th chapter of 2 Kings, verse 1 through 4. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Using for a subject tonight when the cross was just a thing. It says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Allah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah's an incredible guy here. He's the king of Judah. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and, twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and broke the images, cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan means it's just brass. It's just a thing. And so the serpent on a cross, on a pole, it's found in the book of Numbers chapter 21. And I want you to notice that Hezekiah said, it's just a thing. It's just a piece of brass. Nehushtan, it's just a thing. But yet Jesus said that it was a picture of his crucifixion on the cross of Calvary. 
He said it in John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up on that cross. And of course, I'm talking about when the cross was just a thing. Now, who stand? Just a thing. You may be seated. We sang the song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. The burden of my heart was rolled away. The cross is a plus for each of us tonight. When you look at a cross and its beams go to come together, it's a plus. And I'm so glad that the cross is not a minus. God added me to his blessing. He gave me a plus, plus in life. And I'm glad that he didn't minus me out. Because the majestic power of Jesus was displayed. His love, his magnificence, his power, his purity, his holiness, his willingness to save us was all displayed on the cross. The cross is an emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross. In fact, on the entrance of the church, we have above the doors a cross. Above the stained glass windows, we have a cross. We don't bow to the cross, but we certainly remember the detonation of God's love that was displayed on the cross. None of us would ever bow to a thing, an object, but as children of God, we bow to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That cross became a wonderful remembrance for us. There the king bled and died for my sins and your sins. But let me tell you right now that that cross is just a thing. Now, I realize I'm on thin ice, a little cold feeling there. But I rejoice when I see a cross. I'm thrilled about the fact that what it reminds me of. As Jesus Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, the cup and the bread. But I don't bow to the bread and don't bow to the cup. But it is a remembrance, a stirring in my heart to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross and how his body was broken for us and how his blood was shed for our everlasting cleansing and eternal life. I am grateful for the cross. And as Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, there was a miracle there taking place. Hezekiah said, it says that Hezekiah called it Nahustain, meaning it's just a thing. He took the brazen serpent on the pole and he destroyed it. First, he destroyed the false idols. He destroyed the groves of idolatry of Jerusalem and Judah. He cleaned up and then he went to the brazen of serpent on a pole 
and he destroyed it because people were burning incense to it. They were worshiping a thing. And there are too many people today that don't know Jesus as their personal Savior that look at the cross and they pretty much worship just that symbol. But until you know the majestic, incredible, sovereign God who died on that cross, you'll never know the thrill of the cross. At Calvary, my burdened soul found liberty. At that cross is where we are rejoicing. But I say tonight, it's just a thing. It was a thing that God used to display his love in Numbers 21. And the cross was a thing in order for the Son of God to come to planet Earth and die upon the cross of Calvary. Now, I'm going to borrow a little bit of something that Josh said to me. Um, I know he's probably working on a sermon on this, so I'm not going to take his thunder. Josh says it's all mine. Thanks a lot. Josh was talking about, you know, it was Moses who made this thing. And, I, and Josh pointed out that it probably really looked like a thing. Because Moses did not have the skills. He hired the servants when he was in Egypt. But Moses probably wasn't a great um, metal worker or whatever. He probably wasn't a great, <laughs> what'd you say? Artisopher. <laughs> Leave it to Jimmy. Artisopher. Everybody say artisopher. Moses was probably not a good artistifer. Learn something new. Moses hadn't had time to find the skills, the people that would be, you know, God chose very skilled people to uh, make the Ark of the Covenant and the, the, the lamps and the brazen altar and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Moses probably was pretty pitiful. He was a, not a good artistifer. <laughs> I remember when I was in school, I needed to take a class, and I thought, well, you know, I'll take um, wood workshop. I thought that'd be easy. Jerry Combs was the woodwork uh, teacher, woodwork shop, and we all, he, he, he gave, gave us all a job to make a gun rack. I made mine. I was not an artistifer person. The other, the other students made beautiful gun racks with the locked drawers, with, you know, just incredible glass. And, and mine looked like it had been ran over by a truck. It didn't really resemble the resemblance of a gun rack. I was very bad at woodwork. Jerry never told me, son, you're pathetic. I'm sure he whispered that under his breath. And I'm sure that the other students thought, 
That is pathetic. And I thought it was pathetic. It looked bad. I was ashamed to put my good-looking gun on top of it. They displayed it in the gymnasium. The end of the year. Trust me, I didn't get a blue ribbon. Trust me, I didn't get a ribbon at all. My mama bragged about it, but I knew that mama would brag about anything. And she kept that gun rack. I tried to push it aside, forget it, get rid of it. And mom kept that gun rack. She kept that gun rack till I married Judy. Wherever she had that hideous thing hid, she drug it out and gave it to me. I was so ashamed for my wife to see it. It was disgusting. That gun rack met a fateful, terrible end. I took it out like Hezekiah, the Houston. It's a thing. And I destroyed it. I think probably Hezekiah looked at that and said, Moses, you were a good leader, but you weren't artistifer. <laughs> I'm hung up on that word. I hope that's a word. Artistifer. Know what? Artistifer. Ar ar Never mind. I'm talking like I make a gun rack. I want you to notice that this picture that Jesus gave us of the cross to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He speaks of Numbers 21. If you want to go there, we'll see where Moses made this brass serpent. Beginning with the fourth verse, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God, woe, and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, liar, liar, lake of fire. Neither is there any water, liar, liar, lake of fire. And our soul loatheth or hates this light bread, this manna. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, you think? For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he'd take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Set it upon a pole, a stick. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass. I think it was pathetic. I think it showed no resemblance, actually. Just like Jesus looked when he was on the cross. Just like Jesus when he was on the cross. 
no resemblance, just massacre, pathetic, and he put it on a pole. And it came to pass, if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Look and live. Look and live. I am so blessed to be able to go to the scriptures and find types and shadows of Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. They spake against God and against Moses. And it made God very angry. Now, some theologians, and there may be someone in this church that says those were not snakes, those were not serpents, they were dragons breathing fire. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The serpent that was biting the people is a picture of you and I in our flesh, and we are not dragons breathing fire. We're poisoned with the poison of sin. And I do think it was fiery snakes. What do you mean fire? Well, I think when they bit you, it was like fire. And the poison was in them, and they were dying. And they turned to Moses and said, we have sinned. And Moses said, you think? Pray to God that he takes these serpents away from us. God says, nope, not going to do it. I'll tell you what you do, Moses. You take a brass serpent that looks like those things that's biting them and make it a brass representing judgment, put it on a pole and lift it high up and you tell everyone that is bitten and full of poison if they'll look to that pole, if they'll look to that serpent on bra that brass serpent on a pole, if they'll look, they'll live. And Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, I'm like that brass serpent on a pole. What is killing you, I become flesh. What is killing you, I became flesh, the son of man. What is killing you is you. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you on the pole and I'm going to be beaten for you and I'm going to be crucified for you and I'm going to shed my blood for you and beyond all recognition, I'll be beaten beyond the recognition of humanity and I'm going to die on the cross for you and if you look to the cross, you'll live. If you'll look to Jesus Christ, you'll live. Yes, amen. amen. Do not look to a Jesus Christ that gives you wealth and health and prosperity. Wrong Jesus. Do not look to a Jesus Christ that is just a great teacher. He was, and God blesses us. Do not look to a Jesus Christ that was just a prophet. He was more than a prophet. But if you're going to live, you're going to have to focus on the bloodletting of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you're going to live, you're gonna, your eyes are going to have to be captivated and captured by the 
crucified one on the cross of Calvary. Yes, that cross was just a thing, but the sovereign God of all creation went and laid his body, his life down on that thing. And the Roman soldiers drove nails to his hands on that thing. And the Roman soldiers drove feet, uh, throw nails to his feet on that thing. And the Roman soldiers lifted him up on that thing. And that thing is just a thing, but the person on that thing is our eternal, pre-existent, loving Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. Amen. Well, they speak against Moses. And Jesus Christ tells Nicodemus, if you really want to live, you got to look and live. And someone that truly gets born again, they can't take their eyes off of Jesus. Someone that really, truly gets born again, they can't take their eyes off of the crucified one. Someone that's really born again, they can't take their eyes off the blood, the dying of the Son of God on the cross. On that thing, that cross, that emblem of suffering and shame, on that thing, Jesus Christ broke the powers of death held in the grave. On that thing, Jesus Christ crumbled my, my past. On that thing, Jesus Christ raised me before heaven and earth to present me as a born-again child of God. On that thing, Jesus Christ shed his blood to remove my sins in my life. On that thing, Jesus Christ died on that cross as a supreme sacrifice for the sins of the world. On that thing. And they took him down from that thing. And they put him in another thing called the tomb. And when they put him in that thing called the tomb, it was just a thing. But that thing now is in a remarkable place because that's where Jesus Christ got up from the grave, rose again from the dead, and now he ever liveth. You see, I want you to get away from the thing and get your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? The person of Jesus Christ. They spake against God and against Moses, and God was so angry that he sent fiery serpents out into them, and they began to bite him, they began to die. And being full of poison, and us being full of the poison of sin, if we'll look to Jesus on that thing, if we'll look, we'll live. And the Bible says it would come to pass those that were bitten by those fiery serpents there in the book of Numbers 21 that were dying if they would just look to the cross, they would lick and live. And the poison would go out of their bodies and they would get through the shadow of death, get through the pollution of death and they would be given another chance to march on. By the way, did you know in chapter 20, Miriam, the sister of Moses, died. In chapter 20 of Numbers, Aaron, the brother of Moses, died. It wasn't until Miriam died and until Aaron died that the children of Israel began their march. First, they learned God's plan. First, they learned 
the magnificent guidance of the Lord. And then God says, march. But no, they wanted to complain because of the way. They were discouraged because they didn't like the way. And so they spake against God and against Moses because they didn't like the way. How many know God didn't like them speaking against him? And God didn't like them speaking against Moses. And God don't like you speaking against him. And God don't like you speaking against me. And I don't either. What made it so bad when the children of Israel in chapter 21 says, we hate this light bread? What, what was the big bad deal out of that? What was the worst thing about that? They said, we hate this miracle bread. We hate this miracle bread. We abhor it. We hate it in Numbers 21. We don't like this miracle bread. God sends death to them through fiery serpents. God tells Moses to make a serpent, put it up on a pole, and I believe it didn't even resemble much. It's kind of like my gun rack. Like Jesus beaten beyond recognition on the cross himself. And people looked and they lived. Brass is judgment. The place where the serpent was put, the very thing that was killing them was the serpent. And the very thing that's killing us is our flesh. And Jesus became flesh. So he could take the very thing that's killing us and put it on the cross so that we can look to Jesus and look and live. Isn't that good? Let's get back to the miracle bread. I mean, old enough to remember Wonder Bread. Yeah, it's wonder bread. We got iron in it and calcium and everything they need to live forever. Miracle bread. That's true. And then Jimmy, don't you remember them ads? You're a lot older than me, Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway. But they said our soul loath, we hate this miracle bread. You know, I personally believe that that's what made God the angriest. They said, we don't have water. They were liars. They did have water. God gave them water out of a rock. So we don't have bread. They were liars. They had manna. And they said, we hate this light bread. So they were just complainers. The book of Numbers needs to be changed from the book of Numbers to the book of complainers. They were just always complaining. But what made God so furious, I think, about the manna is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3 through 4, talks about miracle bread. Manna was miracle bread. This Bible is miracle bread. The words of Jesus is miracle bread. Jesus, miracle worker. Jesus, the miracle God. Jesus, the miracle virgin-born son of God. Jesus, the miracle uh, sovereign God of the universe. Jesus, the one that performs miracles and is a miracle. Jesus, who will return in the clouds of glory in a miracle to take us home. 
But what made God so angry about the, them hating the manna, the light bread? The psalmist said it was angel's food. Tastes like a wafer, a little sweet wafer oil taste. Verse 3, Numbers 8. And he, speaking of God, humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna. God made them eat manna. Don't miss that. God made them eat manna. Now, why did he make them eat manna? Notice it says, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. You didn't understand it. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doeth not live by bread alone, or bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of our Lord doeth man live. Man live. Jesus quoted that in Matthew 4.4 4 and also Luke 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone. This is miracle bread. Jesus Christ is miracle bread. God's word is miracle bread. You say, preacher, prove it. Verse 4. You ate the miracle bread because I made you eat it. Why? Because I didn't want your raiment to wax. The Bible says, your raiment wax not old upon thee. God not only healed their skin, he healed their clothes they were wearing. Neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Now, how many know that's miracle bread? Not only is that miracle bread to not let your feet swell for these 40 years and your garments not rot, but to continue to stay fresh and brand new, they needed a miracle in the world. They needed a miracle in the wilderness. And God let them fear that they didn't have water. He let them fear that they didn't have bread so that he could make them eat manna. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants to make you eat manna. Most people don't want to eat the Word of God. Most people don't. Oh, I got to go to church. I, oh, it's so boring. Who said our church is boring? You don't know what you're talking about. Woo, we have a good time. If it's boring, it's because you're, you're, you're boring. You bore me. Hello. I'm preaching better than you're responding. It's miracle bread. The Bible says because of the way God made it hard for them so that they would be forced to eat the miracle bread. I want you to know this world is full of storms and full of death and full of sorrow and full of bitterness. And it's all to move you and make you eat the miracle bread. All of life and the storms of life and the hellish problems of life is meant to drive you to one place right here, God's Word, to eat of the manna and meet the miracle man and eat of the miracle bread. For God honors His Word above His name. 
And that's what made God so mad. Amen. The miracle bread. They hated it. Jesus Christ says in John 3, 14, I'm your miracle. As Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And I think Nicodemus, when he stopped, he looked at the cross and he said, oh, now, now I see it. Life begins at the cross. Now I see it. Life dies. Past life dies. New life starts at the cross. Ground zero at the cross. B.C., A.D., at the cross. New start, new life, new way. And, not, and if that isn't enough, three days later, a brand new resurrection in your life. Amen. Jesus not only was that miracle worker, and that miracle man, Jesus is that miracle word. For the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is this miracle word. And Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross. And people resent it. They resent going to church. They resent hearing the preacher preach. They resent being held accountable to live for God, too many pleasures, too many things to do. You don't want to be held accountable to serve God. But I'm here to tell you, you will be accountable until the day you die, and you better make sure the books are not in red, that they're balanced. Amen? Go with me to John 6, verse 66. John 6, verse 66. In John chapter 6, Jesus talks about the manna from heaven. He says, your fathers didn't give you the manna. My Father in heaven gave you the manna. Jesus Christ said, I'm the bread of life. If any man eat of me, he shall never hunger again. It is in the sixth chapter in St. John. Where Jesus Christ said in verse 48, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, verse 49, did eat manna in the wilderness. They died. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm more than just a miracle manna in the wilderness. I'm more than just a miracle bread. I am the everlasting, eternal pre-existing God, and when you eat of me and take of my bread, you live for eternity. Amen. 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 Folks, you don't even need butter on that. That's good stuff. Amen. In fact, there's too much butter that preachers are putting on the Word. Jesus Christ said in this sixth chapter, Except you eat of the flesh of the Son of God or the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Jesus Christ was very clear. Except you assimilate me into your life. Except you look 
and live, except you eat of my word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, except you receive the miracle man, the miracle bread, the miracle of new birth, except you receive the miracle life of God, except you receive it, you'll have no life in you. And he said, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Does that mean you drink of his blood and eat of his flesh literally? No, it means you assimilate it. It becomes part of you. Amen? I went to Culver's for lunch after the baptism. I assimilated a cheeseburger. You don't see that cheeseburger, but it's here. Because I have assimilated it into my bloodstream. I have assimilated that cheeseburger. Some in the form of cholesterol, I'm sure. But anyway, I've assimilated that cheeseburger into my body. And when Jesus Christ said, except you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, he means you've got to assimilate me. I've got to become part of your life. Not just once in a while. I've got to become your life. Not part of your life, not some of your life. I've got to become one with you, and you've got to become one with me. That cheeseburger became one with me, and I became one with it. I assimilated it, and I intend to assimilate a whole lot more cheeseburgers along the way. Amen. I drink my diet Pepsi and eat my Hershey candy bar because you can, drink, you can eat more Hershey candy bars if you drink diet Pepsi. <laughs> now, I'm just kidding because I haven't been eating no sugar at all. It's been several months since I've eaten any sugar at all. I've even refrained from kissing Judy some. <laughs> she ain't in there, is she? And when he said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life. And at that moment, everybody left him. They all walked away. Said, I can't do that. They just walked away. They abandoned the Son of God. Everybody went away. Because they said it was too hard to sing. I've had a few people in this church say, I can't come to your church. You're too serious. Well, welcome to the serious church of Ozark, Missouri. Verse 66, when Jesus said, except you assimilate me. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you go away? Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go when the doctor says you've got cancer? Where are you going to go when you get old and you know that you don't have many more years left on earth? Where are you going to go? 
when the storm is raging? Where are you going to go when the graveyard is calling? Where are you going to go when everything's falling apart? Where are you going to go when you're going to hardship and pain and sorrow? Where are you going to go when you feel like the world has abandoned you and if they haven't abandoned you, the world has attacked you? Where are you going to go under the pressure? Where are you going to go eat that manna, that miracle bread? And that miracle bread is Jesus Christ. You're going to go and have some of Jesus and assimilate Jesus into your life because to whom shall we go? It is Jesus who has the words to eternal life. Hmm. I'll tell you where I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to drop my glasses on the floor. That's where I'm going to go. But I'm not going down there. I'll pay one of my grandkids to pick it up. It'd be worth a dollar to me. Where are you going to go when your back goes out? When you go, where are you going to go when it's time to leave this world? Where are you going to go when you're under the deep pressure? Jimmy's over the edge of the seat. I want that dollar. Just stay over there. That's them Walmart employees. They're eager. I'm just kidding you, Jimmy. Don't shake your head like that. Shake it like this, Jimmy. Not like this. Like this, Jimmy. You ever notice people by the name of Jimmy are unusual? Someone asked me what I go by. Do I go by Jimmy or James? I said, James. <laughs> Move these, get these glasses over there. Where are you going to go? No, I'm fine. I don't need to read nothing. I'm done preaching. Well, maybe, but I'm close to done preaching. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. Jesus is the only one that has eternal life. Jesus is the only one that has miracle bread. Jesus is the only miracle worker. He's the only miracle son of God. Jesus Christ is the only miracle bread that you can eat of him and live forever. He's it. There's nowhere else you can go. There's no place else you can go. You want to fail in life? Reject Jesus Christ. You want to win in life? Assimilate Jesus Christ into your life. And that's why God got so mad at him in Numbers 21 when they said, we ate the bread. Because it was miracle bread. It was a type and picture of Jesus being the bread of life. And that's why God was really put out with him. And that's why he chose at that moment, let's put a typology Let's put a brass serpent on a pole so that over 800 years, several thousand years, actually about almost 2,000 years later, Hezekiah destroyed the, the, the brass serpent that they worshiped with incense 800 years after Moses had made it. So it'd be about almost a thousand, over a thousand years. And, uh, so God says, okay, I'm going to 
later on, when I'm on planet earth, made in my own image after my own likeness, my last Adam, when I'm there, I'm going to be able to tell Nicodemus, I have a message from the Father up above. Look and live. All you have to do is look and live. All you have to do is look to Jesus and live. There's a song, a hymnal talks about, I have a message from the Lord, hallelujah, look and live. Jimmy knows all of those. He's got them right up there in his head. Jimmy's got the biggest computer. I mean, he's got it all. I've never seen Jimmy read anything. He just knows it. What do you mean not true? It is true. I've never seen you read a song. I never, you just get up and sing it. You know it. Amen. And if I made one mistake tonight in the sermon, he won't come and talk to me. Because he'll leave me alone. He'll let me die in my ignorance. But at least I'll die in Jesus. I'm not that dumb. When the cross was just a thing. And I don't want to be sacrilegious. But it's still just a thing tonight. It is Jesus who died on it that we worship. To put it on the building, I'm okay with that. To have it on a necklace, I'm okay with that. But to rub it and think it's a good luck charm or a good blessing charm, that I'm not okay with. Because the cross always says, hey, look and live. Cross always says, look and live. What I did on that cross, Jesus says, is forever. It's forever. Amen? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, I believe it was Solomon who said, what God does is forever. Well, you're looking at someone that God worked on, and I am forever. Amen. Being confident of this, of this very thing, he which has begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, my favorite verse. God began a good work in me, and he will perform it until the day he splits that eastern sky and takes me home. I'm not the finished product, but I will be. Isn't that beautiful? One of the greatest lessons of this whole sermon, Josh brought it out to me. He said, I don't think that brass serpent resembled much of a brass serpent. And I think that's right. Josh is absolutely 100 correct. Because Jesus didn't even resemble a man when he was on the cross. It wasn't a beautiful, gorgeous brass serpent that would just go, people would go, wow. No, it was just a pitiful work of Moses. 
that lacks something because law can't save you. And God says, if you'll look at Jesus, if you look at my son, you'll live. And when someone gets born again, that's all you can do. When, the, when lightning strikes, you look and live. In fact, I decided to live a life of looking every day, looking for his coming. Stand with me. Josh's going to come and bring a song. Hope you enjoyed tonight. I really enjoyed Jimmy coming out to services on Sunday night. He's such a blessing to us. I enjoy all of you coming out on Sunday night. It's a blessing. A lot of churches don't even have church on Sunday night because they can't get the people to come. Now, thank you for coming. This is a good crowd. Not as big as this morning, but a good crowd. And I appreciate that. Because there's a whole church full of people here looking and living. What a life. Look and live. All is over. And if you're going through something tonight, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to him. Josh.